actually teach you things that work. And We're learning about how to grow your podcast. Of how to Again. grow your podcast past six figures. So that is my promise to you. You are actually going to get implementable things that you can implement today and see results within a week. Like I said at the end, you want to learn more about working together, fine. But if not, that's cool. My goal is to help you. If you wind up telling one other podcaster about this, then I've won, right? So with that, let's dive all the way in. So let's learn about the simple four-step process to a six-figure podcast business that doubles your audience every three months and doesn't burn you out. I know that sounds too good to be true. That sounds like a lot of hullabaloo. So real quick before we dive in, just to show you that it works, show you that I've done this twice and I help other people do it, just a little bit of proof. So first, this is my very first podcast, Philly Who. I started this when I was a software developer, nine to five at a big health insurance company. Uh, within two years, it amassed over 187,000 downloads. Uh, here is a screenshot from a bank... Uh, payment in the middle of that time period in 2019, where, as you can see, within the course of five days, the podcast made me more than $4,000. Two of those payments are advertisement payments. One of them is a Patreon payout. Uh, and here is a screenshot from an ad payment that we got in uh, June of 2020. This was during the COVID financial crisis. And as you can see, we were still raking in advertisement payments then at a time when no other business was spending advertisement money. And my podcast was still working, still making money, and still growing. Uh, this podcast has been featured in virtually every single major news outlet in Philly. It's about Philly. You probably could have guessed that. Uh, here is a shot of me doing a live episode of this podcast in 2019 in front of 250 people. All those people paid $38 to be there. I walked out of that event with a check in my pocket for $5,000. Here's a shot of me doing a live interview of that podcast at a conference. I got paid $1,200 to do this interview uh, and then also sold ads on that episode as well. So I made more than $2,000 on just that one episode. Uh, and here's me signing a merchandise distribution deal here in Philadelphia where a store would sell my podcast merch. While that deal was in progress, I made a couple hundred bucks every single month, didn't have to do anything. So all that to say, my first show fully monetized, 100,000 downloads, $100,000 per year. And then I launched a second show, uh, which is called Grow the Show. I launched that podcast in 2020. Uh, and in its first year, a little bit over a year, so 14 months, that podcast has generated half a million dollars for me and my coaching business. And it has charted in the Apple Top 100 charts. If you know anything about charting in the Top 100, you know that uh, it's pretty difficult to chart in any business category in the United States in the Apple Top 100. And within its first year, this podcast had, uh, has reached 86. Maybe by the time you're watching this video, it has reached higher than that. But it just took me one year to take this podcast past half a million dollars and the Apple Top 100 charts. So all that is to say that uh, this stuff works. And at this point, I now help over 150 other podcasters in my Podcast Accelerator program who are all growing and monetizing as well. It is literally my full-time thing. What I do is help podcasting entrepreneurs to grow their audience and make more money from that audience. 150 people in the Accelerator so far, and that number is growing every single day. So that's just a little quick proof to show you that I actually do know what I'm talking about. I've done this twice for myself. I've helped more than 150 other podcasters do it too, and beyond that as well, outside of my program. And so enough about me. Let's dive in. What is, what is the simple four-step process to a six-figure podcast business that doubles your audience every three months and doesn't burn you out? Before we begin, I want to first talk about you, okay? So who is actually going to benefit from this masterclass? Who is going to get stuff that they can implement, learn from today, and actually grow their podcast business? Number one, 
is business owners, right? People who are already entrepreneurs who have already launched a podcast that supports their product and service and who want to grow their audience, generate revenue, build a world-class network while doing so and achieve authority in their niche. If that describes you, you're going to get a lot from this masterclass. Uh, that mainly describes coaches, consultants, agency owners, authors, speakers, influencers, others with online businesses, and yes, other business owners too. Uh, this has worked for real estate agents and people with brick and mortar businesses, um, but the real wheelhouse are those with online businesses. And then this is also going to help other hungry, talented podcasters who show today is a side hustle, but they're ready to commit, do the work, and convert it to a business right here and now. Right, Your podcast is a business, not the moment you cash your first check, but the moment you decide it is a business. Right, So that moment has to either happen right now or have already happened for you if you consider yourself a hobby podcaster. I'll tell you right now, this masterclass and what you're about to learn is not for hobby podcasters who do not want to treat their podcast like a business right now. If you're somebody who just wants to stay a hobby podcaster, continue just recording conversations with you and your friends talking about random stuff over beers, that's totally cool. I love that for you. But that's not what this masterclass is here to help, okay? This is also not going to help podcasters who overall don't care about making money. Again, if you're just looking to put this show out there, it's a passion project, and you have no interest in actually making any cash from it, that's awesome. I love you for that. I love any podcaster, and I you know, am still happy to serve, but I'm telling you, the stuff in this masterclass is not going to help you as much as it will help a podcaster who actually wants to turn their show into a growing, thriving business. This is not going, also not going to work for podcasters who are afraid of making money. So if you're somebody who just cannot sleep over the thought of asking for money or selling something or actually getting paid what you're worth, this isn't going to work for you. You're going to try to implement this stuff and then you're going to freeze up at the moment when it comes time to monetize your show. This is also not for anybody who believes that a growing, thriving podcast should be free or easy. I see tons of people out here complaining that they're spending $5 a month on podcast hosting service or $30 a month on their podcast. What do you think this is? If this is a podcast business, don't you think it's going to take some investment to grow into a business that actually pays you back? Right. So if you're someone who thinks that building a podcast, building an audience is something that should go viral, it should be free, it should be easy. I'm sorry, but this is not going to work for you and you need to stop the video right now. Likewise, I just alluded to anybody who believes that a podcast can blow up and rescue you from your day job. I'm telling you, that's not how it works. I hear so many podcasters that are like, yeah, I'd love for it to be a business someday. Maybe we'll you know, land that one dream guest and then it'll just take off and it'll turn into a business and I can quit my day job. That's not how it works. That's not how businesses work. They don't just start themselves and grow themselves. You have to decide. You have to make it happen. It's not going to blow up and just pull you out. You're going to have to take the risk. You're going to have to take the leap, okay? This is also not going to work for any podcaster who's just not willing to put in the work to get better at their craft. I hear tons of, now Now we're speaking more to the entrepreneurs who are like, I just want to have an interview, have a, have a conversation, record it, and let somebody else do the work. Not going to work. Nobody's going to want to listen to you if you don't want to get better at presenting stuff to them. So if you're one of those podcasters that just wants to interview somebody once a week, spend one hour on it, and literally no time or energy else uh, otherwise, on your podcast, please just turn the video off right now. You're just going to come to me complaining that it doesn't work because you're not willing to put in the work, okay? Um, and this is also not going to work for business owners and entrepreneurs. Now, this is a lot of us, and this used to be me, so I feel for you. But business owners and entrepreneurs who take pride in having 35 different projects all going at once and, and who do a really crappy job on all of them but then give up on them one by one because you found something better and shinier. 
This is only going to happen if you decide to focus on it, right? So if you want your podcast to reach the goals that you have for it, if you want it to grow, if you want to reach X amount of downloads, if you want to have authority, you know, be, and have all these things that I'm going to teach you how to do, you're going to have to stop doing something else, right? You're going to have to stop one of the other million projects that you've got, one of the million other irons that you have in the fire. They say the person who chases many hares catches none, and you must focus. You must put all of your eggs in one basket and then watch what that basket does, okay? So if you are any one of those people and you are not willing to stop being any one of these people, please turn off the video right now because it's just not gonna work for you and then you're gonna come complaining to me that it doesn't work and uh, this is why it doesn't work, okay? Uh, oh, also anybody looking for passive income, that doesn't exist. Please, all these 20 year olds yes, who are does. telling me I should have seven income streams and do no work to get them, get out of my life, okay? So yeah. what you're gonna learn, if you are not one of those many people, right, and you're one of the two people that I mentioned earlier, here's what you're gonna learn in this video. Number one, you're gonna learn how to describe your show so that potential listeners, people who haven't even pressed play yet, become obsessed with the show before they even press play. That's, having, that's called having an incredible podcast premise that from the very beginning, people are like, oh my God, I'm in, right? You're also gonna learn how to define your podcast audience in a way that makes it absurdly easy to grow that audience. Actually, I should say simple to grow that audience, a little bit more than easy, right? But you get the picture. You're also gonna learn how to get more of those podcast listeners via social media, totally for free, spending only 15 to 30 minutes per day. And I know that's hard to believe, but stick with me uh, because you're already spending much more than that, much more time than 15 to 30 minutes a day on social media. I know I can check your screen time on your phone uh, and so I'm going to teach you how to spend that time better, spend less of it, and actually get an audience growth return from it. Uh, you're also going to learn how to get how to land any dream guest that you want in a matter of days rather than waiting for months or years or waiting for the perfect time or waiting to send the perfect cold email pitch. Those days are over. Uh, today you're going to learn how to actually get those people on your show much sooner uh, right now, in fact. You're going to learn how to monetize your podcast insanely profitably, regardless of audience size. I'm telling you, this works literally if you have 10 listeners or 10 million listeners. Uh, the strategy is a little different depending on where you are, but literally every single one of those audiences and all of the ones in between can be monetized super profitably. I've done it before. I'm going to teach you how to do it. You're going to learn how to convert casual listeners of your podcast into monetized raving fans in a matter of weeks, if not days. Most of your podcast listeners right now are totally casual but they would love the opportunity to become monetized raving fans. You just haven't given it to them yet. And I'm going to teach you how. And then finally, you're going to learn how to get all of the grunt work off of your plate so that you can spend more of your time on the fun stuff, the stuff that you like, interviewing cool people, you know, growing your audience, interacting with those audiences of fans. And so you don't have to spend your time publishing and editing and making social media content and all this other crap that we hate doing, right? So as you can see, this is a lot of stuff that we're going to learn. So you're going to need to take some notes, okay? My promise to you is that by the end of this video, you're going to have clarity on exactly why your podcast is stuck and why it is not growing the way that you want it to be growing. You're also going to learn how to build a podcast growth machine that skyrockets your audience size and authority. I've gone from zero, my second podcast, Grow the Show, went from zero to 500K in one year and hit the Apple Top 100 charts in one year. I'm going to teach you how you can do the same thing. You're also going to learn how to build one of the most profitable online businesses that exist today. If we can get past all these limiting beliefs that we mentioned earlier, people just think of podcasts wrong and podcast business is wrong. I'm going to fix that today. And now you're going to know how to build what is one of the most profitable online businesses. It is insanely profitable if you just do it right. 
you're finally going to be able to enjoy the fruits of your labor that you've put into your podcast. So I'm willing to bet if you're watching this still, you're somebody who has launched your show, you're a handful of episodes in, or maybe many episodes in, sometimes hundreds of episodes in, and you've got no revenue and really not much audience growth from it. Yet, you have been super, super consistent. You have kept your nose to the grindstone. And so at the end of this video, you're going to start actually getting uh, a reward for all of that time and energy that you've put into this. I promise you that. Uh, and you're also... Once you see the results from this, right, what you're about to learn, your friends, your family, your colleagues, the people around you are going to be asking you what changed, what's different. And they're going to start coming to you for business advice, podcasting advice, and social media advice. You are going to be the one that teaches this stuff to everyone else in your life because they're going to be begging for it because they will see the life that you are living now. So I know that is a lot. Before we get in, we're almost there. This is not get rich quick, okay? I'm going to show you examples of podcasters who, with the same audience size as you, have gotten more growth, faster growth, while spending less time than you do, and have made more money off of their podcast spending less time than you have. But don't be fooled. It is still hard work. You still have to work hard. It's just a smarter hard work, okay? You're going to be pissed off. By the end of this video, you're going to be mad, right? Everything that the internet tells you about how to grow and monetize your podcast is dead wrong. And you know how I know that? because your podcast hasn't grown and it's not fully monetized. If it wasn't wrong, then you would already have a growing, thriving podcast business because how did you learn everything that you know about podcasting so far today? You did it by searching on the internet, talking to other people who have launched a podcast, but not grown a podcast, and other you know online podcasting gurus like me who, let's face it, if, they, if it worked, you wouldn't be listening to me right now, right? And finally, when it comes to this masterclass, I promise you there is a method to the madness. So please, if you haven't already, remove all distractions, make sure that you're fully focused, have a pen, a paper, take notes. I've heard that my masterclasses generate people 10 pages of notes, so definitely pay attention. You're not going to be allowed to rewind or fast forward, and there's a reason for that, because what most people do is they don't pay attention, or they open the video, they you know skip around, oh, is this any good? And then they get to a part that's interesting, but because they skipped all of the lead up to it, they don't understand it. And they're like, ah, this is confusing. This doesn't work. So you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to rewind. There's a method to the madness. I promise you, you will thank me by the end of this. Okay. So with all of that out of the way, my question for you is, does this sound like you? You followed all the rules and guidelines of podcasting that's well known and abundant on the internet. You stayed consistent. You've posted on social media. You've asked your guests to share. You've done all the work, but your podcast is not growing at all. If I ask you, how do new listeners discover your podcast for the first time, you're not sure. You have no clue who those listeners are and how they found you. You don't know which activities that you've done have actually moved the needle on your podcast, right? You're seeing other podcasts around and listening to them that suck are really bad, but somehow get way more attention and money than yours does. And you're like, what gives? At first, when you launched your show, you were having a blast. It was super fun. You got to talk to all these amazing people. But now, after the grind and after no bang for your buck, no return, it's starting to turn into a total drag. You haven't been able to break through the current growth threshold that you are at, and you can't figure out why. You have no idea what to do, what to change, and how to get past this. It's a constant scramble for you to stay consistent and release new episodes. It feels like you finally get one done, get it out the door, and now you're already behind the eight ball and rushing to get the next episode complete, right? This whole podcasting thing has turned out to be way harder than it sounds. I thought this was going to be easy. I thought you just have conversations and upload them on the internet and then people discover you and you get a couple dream guests and then your show blows up, but that's not, hap that's not what happened, right? 
You want to make money from your podcast someday, but with each episode release, you doubt whether that day will actually arrive because it's just this whole black box of magic. How the heck's podcast monetization? How does it work? And you have no idea, and you're starting to not believe that that's actually going to happen for you. Um, and you're starting to believe that you're never going to get an ROI on all the time and energy that you've plowed into this show. So if that sounds like you at all, here's the good news that I have for you. Number one, getting your existing podcast to 10,000 downloads per month is a lot simpler than you think. Monetizing your podcast can happen way, way sooner than you think. It can happen today. And it's not your fault that you don't know how to do this, right? It's not your fault. The information that you've had so far has been wrong and or you just haven't found the right information yet until today. I'm going to show you how I took my first podcast from zero to $100,000 in one year, and I'm going to show you how I took my second podcast from zero to $500,000 in one year, and with starting from scratch, right? So my second podcast started with a brand new audience, and I took that audience from zero to 20,000 people in that same year, okay? By learning this, you're going to be able to start seeing podcasts, your podcast download numbers grow 5 to 10% with every episode that you release. Every episode, the numbers will go up. You're going to actually have your podcast start paying for itself and paying you back for your time. You're going to start getting paid to acquire customers and clients for my business owners out here. You're going to start to grow your audience of raving fans into the thousands with much more ease. And you're going to establish yourself as a thought leader and an authority in your space, right? People are going to go to you for information. I just had a client tell me that he has a competitor who listens to his podcast and they refer that his competitor refers their customers to his podcast. How, talk about being an authority, right? <laughs> You're also going to become good friends with people who today are merely dream guests, people who are idols, who are heroes, other thought leaders. They're going to become your friends. You're going to be pals and you're going to start to have fun actually have fun podcasting while also growing your sphere of influence and your net worth. That's what you're going to learn. So quick, a little bit of background on how the heck I got to where I am. I'll keep this brief. I know a lot of people take too long doing this. For me as a podcaster, it started in 2018. I was a software developer at a big health insurance company. Love everybody that I worked with there, but I was not super passionate about writing health insurance software. Believe it or not, I was super passionate about my hometown of Philadelphia. And I had an idea for a podcast while I was listening to this episode of How I Built This with Guy Raz. I was like, man, I want to hear Philadelphia stories just like this on a podcast. And so I said, I'm going to do it. I took six months to figure out what you know equipment to buy. How do I do this thing? What's an RSS feed? How do I launch a podcast? And I learned the internet to learn how to do it. What mics do I use? I listened to you know, a bunch of Tim Ferriss. How do I actually get this going? And finally, on May 1st, 2018, I launched Philly Who. Uh, and it was a little side hustle. I still had my full-time job, launched it, and on day one, it was crushed. I crushed it, as in, I got 250 downloads of my podcast on day one. Now, I know now why that works. Back then, I kind of didn't. But when it went so well immediately, I was like, that's it. I'm the man. I am an incredible podcaster, and I gave my two weeks notice, or two months notice, forgive me. I left the corporate job two months later. That's the birth, uh, That's the good luck cake that my very confused coworkers got me on my last day. They were very supportive, but they were confused when I, in 2018, said that I was leaving my six-figure software job to be a podcaster. And for the next couple months, the show did well via my personal network, some word of mouth, a couple of guests shared on social media, and I was living life. Life was good. 
I got to run around the city, interview incredible Philadelphians who I felt I had no business talking to, and I was just over the moon until very quickly reality set in. So if you fast forward a couple months after I left my full-time gig and my savings were running out, my audience growth started to flatline. The numbers stopped going up, and in fact, they started going down each and every episode. And I didn't understand why. I was doing the same thing that I did when I launched. I was posting on social media and asking my guests to share and and all the other things that people say to do to grow your podcast. Meanwhile, I was spending over 40 hours a week making the show. I took after how I built this and made it super, super heavily produced. And so I was spending literally more than a full-time job's worth of time editing my podcast week after week after week. And on top of that, the savings had run out. So I was out of cash. My account, my bank account was overdrawn several times. And I was like, damn, I guess I am not this incredible podcaster. And I came this close calling up my old boss and asking him if I could come back. Uh, but the problem is I had made such a big public stink about leaving my job and that I was this incredible podcast entrepreneur. Uh, and I had told everyone that I had made it, that I just, I, I couldn't stand going back to the corporate gig with my tail between my legs. And so I actually decided to take a break from the podcast and stop releasing episodes for a while. I put Philly Who on hold. And what I did was I studied. I took a weekend and I listened to every single podcast on the top 100 podcasts. To, list, to see what are the patterns here? What are these shows doing to grow their audience, to monetize, to get people to buy stuff, right? I also got in touch with some of my podcast legends, my podcast idols through different ways. I got a little, you know, got a little ninja and got to ask some questions of the people who are at the cream of the crop, at the top of the game, to see what advice they had for growing and monetizing a podcast. I uh, read books, right, about podcasting. I studied audience growth outside of the podcasting world. So what does Marvel do? What does Disney do to grow their audience? I took online courses on how to grow a business. How do marketers grow their audience? And I took all this information over the course of six weeks. It was super intense. And what I learned is what I've already told you. The internet is very, very good at teaching you how to launch a podcast. Look at all the podcasts around you that have launched, right? And if you Google how to launch a podcast, the advice is actually really, really good. And that's how you got here, right? You launched your show. It was easy. But here's the thing. The internet sucks at teaching you how to grow a podcast. And so if you Google how to grow a podcast, look at the advice that comes up. I'm here to tell you that all of this advice does not work. And look at it. It's from a very, very, very reputable podcasting company. It's the first thing that comes up. Number one, create a website for your podcast. Who the heck is going to go to that website? That is literally the biggest waste of time. Number two, build an email list and send out regular newsletters. How are you supposed to get people onto that news email list? Number three, post about every new episode on your personal handles. You're already doing that and it's not working, right? Number four, use relevant hashtags. Who has ever discovered a podcast by searching for hashtags? That's just not what people do. Number five, reply to comments. Comments on what? Nobody's commenting. Number six, post in relevant Facebook and Reddit groups. That is the worst thing that you can do. That gets you kicked out of those communities. They hate that. Nobody comments on it, and people hate you for being self-promotional. Number seven, reach out to another show to cross-promote with them. Okay, that's actually fantastic advice, but after numbers one through six totally don't work at all, why would you believe them that number seven is going to work? So I was like, holy crap. I have been completely misled, and so has everybody else in this industry, and I forgot everything that I thought I knew. All the conventional wisdom about how to grow and monetize a podcast, 
And I took all that I learned and implemented it, and I brought Philly Who back. And that is when I took this little local show about my hometown, past 100,000 downloads and $100,000 monetized, right? I showed you all of that before. This is how this actually happened. I stopped doing what everyone else on the internet was telling me to do. Uh, all people who have not grown or monetized the podcast, I took their advice because I assumed they knew better than I did took the advice from the people who have actually grown and monetized a, a business, a podcast, a, you know, online, anything. And then it started to work. And at that point I got to live the life of a podcaster, right? So I was just working on my show full time. I love electronic music and music festivals. The right is a picture of me and my friends at Coachella. I'm a singer in a choir. The, the top middle is me and my sister at St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican. I got to sing at the Vatican. I bought a house in Philadelphia. I'm a, you know, uh, I'm a, a wannabe DJ. I got to do DJ gigs and there, and I'm a beach bum and I got to go to the beach four times a year. And all of that was paid for by my podcast revenue, by my six figure podcast. Right? So then I started helping other media companies to make and grow their shows. I had found the secret ingredient. And so I was hired by companies like religion of sports. So that's the company founded by co-founded by Tom Brady, Gotham Chopra, who's Deepak Chopra's son and uh, Michael Strahan, Dr. Gotham is an incredible, incredible documentary filmmaker. They have this media company called Religion of Sports. Look up Religion of Sports right now. It's, they have incredible podcasts. And in 2019, I helped them build out their podcast voice. Uh, then at the same time, I was helping produce uh, an iHeartRadio show. I worked for years with Comcast NBC Universal to grow their show, Ideas Elevated, that interviews incredible uh, entrepreneurs like Kevin O'Leary, as seen here. And I also helped several other companies and brands grow their podcasts as well. I've also worked for Rishikesh Hirwe, who is the podcaster behind Song Exploder, one of the most successful independent podcasts of all time. And then after working with bigger media companies, I said, okay, I want to help other me's, right? Other independent entrepreneurs with podcasts. And I want to help them grow their podcast like I did with Philly Who. And so that's when I launched Grow the Show. And in its first 60 days of the Grow the Show podcast, it brought me $17,000 for my uh, podcast coaching business. And like I said before, in its first year, it has made me over half a million dollars and reached the top 100 charts. So all that is just to say, folks, that been here this stuff actually works and i did all this in just like between three and four years so are you with me so far do you want to know how this is done cool now let's dive in grab a pencil and a piece of paper get ready to take notes which hopefully you are and you're like come on i've already got one and let's dig in so here we have the simple four-step process to a six-figure podcast that doubles your audience every three months and does not burn you out step number one be more specific about what your show is and who it's for. This is the least sexy of the four, but it is the most important. It's the one that people skip the most, and it's also the reason why most people are struggling, because they skip this and they don't get this right. If you get it right, you move on to step two, which is to start using social media the right way. I'm telling you right now, when it comes to growing your podcast, you're using it the wrong way. You're posting in Facebook groups. You're posting headshots of your guests. New episode, available now, link in bio. You're begging your guests to share. You're not engaging with anyone. It's the wrong way. I'm going to show you how you can do the right way, and in a fraction of the time you're spending now, you're going to be able to grow your audience. Then you want to outsource the grunt work. Get as much of the boring, stupid stuff off of your plate, right? Editing, creating the social media promo content, all the scheduling and messaging and rescheduling and confirming and the publishing to the list, Libsyn and the feed and the website and all that crap. You got to stop doing that. 
you there's much much higher leverage uses for your time to grow and monetize that business so get it off of your plate right away and then finally we convert your listeners to customers of either your business if you're an entrepreneur or a business owner or your business as a Patreon, or to someone else's business, right? That's sponsorship or affiliate deals. But in any case, the way that you monetize a podcast is to convert your listeners to customers, right? So that's it. Good luck. Hope you enjoyed. Can't wait to see your podcast grow. I'm totally kidding. Let's dive all the way into each (laughs) one of those four steps, starting with step one, the most important, be more specific, okay? This step is going to show you how Howard Fletcher went from having a podcast called Real Estate Wine and More that wasn't getting any downloads, no attention at all, to being in a place where he has cultivated an audience who is not only connected with him, but he is also more attractive to small business owners who want to sponsor his show. And that's all from this step one. So that's what you're going to learn, right? So question for you. You want to have a large audience, right? Totally. Me too. So do I. We all do. Because that's what you and I want, when it comes time for us to talk about and define our podcast, what we do automatically is to define our show and our audience, right, our listeners, in very broad and wide terms. That's what we do. And we do this because... Hello. We think that it's going to make the show yeah. appeal to more people, I don't know. right? We think it'll bring us a bigger audience, right? Let me, let me, let me go, On the surface... Sure, that makes sense. But in actuality, that is what's making your job harder as a podcaster. Right. So every single time I hear from podcasters, which is literally dozens and dozens coming close to hundreds of podcasters per week, the first question that I ask is not what strategies are you using? You know, what social media platform are you on? What kind of sponsorship pricing do you have? It's who is your listener? The answers that I get to this question are almost always insanely vague. My listeners are millennials, boomers, Gen X, Gen Z. My listeners are women. My listeners are 25 to 50-year-old men. My listeners are entrepreneurs or anybody interested in art. My listeners are musicians, parents. These are all too broad. There's too many people that fit that categorization. It's too vague. The same thing is true when I ask you, what is your show actually about? What is your podcast? I get totally vague answers. My podcast is about dating. (laughs) There's so much to talk about when it comes to dating. My podcast is about entrepreneurship, sales, marketing, mental health, film, video games, food, sports, sports team. Too broad, too vague. It's, it, it, the pie chart is too, too large here, right? We're also vague, not only about the audience and the topic of the show, but what the show actually is, right? What are we doing in this 45-minute podcast episode? We're telling stories. We're giving tools and tricks. We're having tough conversations. We're featuring different perspectives. We're interviewing all kinds of people from all walks of life. We're giving my unique take. Listen, I know it's hard to believe, but the more broad that your show is, the harder it will be for you to grow and monetize. This is why you're having such a hard time with this. Because, and the reason why that is, is because your show does not resonate 
with any individual person, right? Nobody hears their truth in what you're saying or what you're talking about. Instead, what we need to do is be incredibly, painfully almost, specific, right? So step one is become ex incredibly and painfully specific about your audience, your show concept, those two things, <laughs> forgive me, your audience and your show concept, all right? So for your audience, here's how to do it. You need to be so specific that you can define your audience as blanks who blank and blank. What the heck does that mean? Every listener of your show has to have the same three characteristics. You have to decide on three characteristics that every listener of your show must have. And I know you're resisting this, but won't that audience be too small? Oh, but I want to reach everybody. I hear you. For your show concept, you should be able to describe your show in 10 words or less without using any vague or marketing language that really means nothing like exciting or exponential or incredible and in a way that describes literally no other podcast in the world. None. It has to be a category of one, right? You have to make clear why the show is valuable to the listener and what makes the stories that you're telling amazing, right? What makes the tools and tricks valuable? What are they going to do for the listener specifically? What makes the conversations that you're having tough? How are they different than all the other tough conversations that we have? How are the perspectives that you're sharing actually different, right? What makes them different? What makes your take unique specifically? Why is your take actually unique? Tell me right now. Is it because it's not because I'm willing to tell it how it is. Everyone's willing to tell it how it is. So let's go back to Howard. Howard came to me with the Real Estate Wine and More podcast with Howard, right? Real Estate Wine and More. That's too broad. That literally, if you say and more, that means everything. That means that his podcast is about literally everything. How is that possible, right? So I said, Howard, we got to be more specific. He said, how do I do that? I said, okay, let's take Real Estate Wine and More and look at the top performing episodes of all time. What are the bet episodes of yours that have gotten the most amount of downloads? So he did that. He sorted them all by download numbers. Which episodes do you think performed the best? It was not the ones about real estate. By the way, Howard's a real estate agent, so he was looking to you know, generate some business with this. It was not the episodes about real estate. It was not the episodes about and more. It was the episodes about wine, beer, and spirits. Howard had no idea, but he had a show that was about wine, beer, and spirits in his area, but he was ruining it by talking about real estate and everything else. So he rebranded from real estate, wine, and more to barrel tasting with Harold Fletcher. Do you feel how that show already has more teeth and it's already more interesting, right? So his show has to do specifically with the area that he practices real estate. And so now by doing this, he's able to cultivate an audience who has connected with him, but has a vested interest in his niche, which is craft beverages in his area. And the show is now much easier to monetize because his listeners are local and the show is much more attractive to small business owners who are craft beverage producers themselves, who are restaurants, limousine services, tourism bureaus, wedding planners. Think about it. The possibilities are endless. Once we made this change, I almost never heard from Howard again because he was so overwhelmed with listenership, with people who want to be a guest on his show because they want to be featured in the area monetization opportunities, right? Sponsorships just by being more specific. He didn't change anything else about the show. So questions that I often get about being specific. Number one, 
But but Kevin, I don't I don't want to exclude anyone outside of this audience. Aren't I going to be leaving people out? You're not going to be excluding them, right? Your target is a destination in the GPS. So if you get more specific about your show, you're actually going to collect more people who are not, you know, not completely blanks who blank and blank, right? So for me, for Grow the Show, it's entrepreneur, uh, it, it's podcast. Sorry, forgive me. It's entrepreneurs with podcasts who have already launched their show and are stuck at their current growth level. Blanks who blank and blank. For my first podcast, Philly Who, right? It's Philadelphians who are super passionate about the city because there's lots of Philadelphians who are not super passionate about the city and who want to get to know personally the movers and shakers. There's people who in Philly who are super passionate who don't give a flying F about movers and shakers, right? So my listeners of those shows have all three of those characteristics. But here's the beauty. There are people who listen to Grow the Show who aren't podcasters but get value from it. I would not have reached them if I launched a show that helped anybody with an audience to grow, right? I did this because I focus on podcasters, crush it with them, and then other people are like, will this work for me? And you're like, yeah, right? Number two, but Kevin, isn't that audience going to be too small? No, I have made over 100K off of only 100,000 downloads in a city of a million people, right? People think a million is too small. And honestly, the audience is much smaller than a million people because of what I said before. I've made $500,000 off of 40,000 downloads of my podcast, Grow the Show, at the time of this recording. That's a pretty good ratio, right? You can make tons of money. And here's the secret. Number one, the audience is always bigger than you think. The internet is a vast place, and we literally cannot comprehend the amount of people that fit into the blanks who blank and blank world. It's way bigger than you think. It's not too small. And the other secret is that the smaller the audience is, the easier it is, the easier it is to monetize. The more money you can make off of your audience, the smaller it is. It's counterintuitive, I know, but it's true. It's how I made half a million dollars off of 40,000 downloads. It's crazy, right? And the third thing I get is, but but aren't I going to be pigeonholing myself? Well, but what if I don't want to talk about Philadelphia for the rest of my life? You don't have to. I'm not doing Philly Who anymore. Now I'm focusing 100% on podcasters. And guess what? In the future, I'll grow beyond that as well. In five to 10 years, I'm not going to be just the podcast guy anymore. I'll be the, I don't know, audience growth guy or business growth guy or entrepreneurship guy or whatever it is. You can always change. You can grow, right? People have to go to you for one thing, though, before they come to you for everything. People would not come to me for podcast advice until I was the best podcaster in Philadelphia. So I had to focus on this for a time. Now people come to me for podcast advice, and soon they'll come to me for other business and audience growth advice, right? That's how this actually works. You're not pigeonholing yourself. You have to focus in order to be broad, right? Focus now so that you can be broad later. And then, of course, people are like, what about this, Kevin? Is this specific enough? No. Make it more specific. You should you should be painful. You know, it should be like, oh my God, I think this is too small of an audience. That's when you've just begun getting specific enough. Okay. Once you have take the time to be more specific about your premise and your audience, now we can get into step two, which is to use social media the right way instead of the wrong way. This step alone is how Anna Dearman Cornick went from having a podcast that if you look at her download numbers here was mostly shrinking every month, right? So in January 2020, she was at 1,600 downloads per month. By July, she was down to 1,300. It mainly shrunk every month. But that whole month, she was doing what you were doing. She was begging her guests to share. She was posting little things on Instagram, little headshots and all this crap, spending tons of time promoting her podcast, and it was shrinking. Then she learned what you're about to learn in step two, and in one year, from July of 2020, where she was at 1,300 downloads per episode, she implemented what you're about to learn, and her show 
10x in a year. She went from 1,300 downloads per month to over 10,000 downloads per month in one year just by implementing what you're about to learn. Ready to learn it? Cool. Sure. Let me ask you this. What are you doing now to get more listeners? I've already answered that question. You're posting on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and TikTok, right? Yeah. Mostly you're posting people's headshots, audiograms, Reels. maybe a video clip if you record the video, but nothing's happening. It's not Reels. getting any engagement, and it's not being seen by anyone. It's not doing the trick. It's not bringing your podcast listeners, right? Your social media account is not growing. So every week that you post, the same 10 people are seeing that post, right? So it's not, not only are nobody seeing the post, but the people who do see it already know about your show. Number two, you're begging your guests, will you please spread the word? Will you post this on social media? But guess what? They never do that. That doesn't happen anymore, right? And even when they do, it doesn't work because the, the content sucks like yours, right? And by the way, they can only reach 1% of their audience on social media anyway, so it's, it's never going to work, even if they do post. So you resort to asking your audience, please rate and review. Tell one friend, you know, who knows this. But guess what? What audience? There's no one there. Well, who's going to spread the word? <laughs> Nobody knows about your show. So then you go and start posting about your podcast all over Facebook groups. And what happens? Nothing. Nobody comments on it. Nobody even likes the post. In fact, everybody hates you for being self-promotional in the community, and you get banned and kicked out of the group. <laughs> so now what do you do? <clears throat> Meanwhile, you've been crushing it. I give you credit. You've been grinding it out, hoping for your big, big podcast break, right? This isn't your fault that this is what you're doing. This is what the internet tells you to do. And you're hoping for the big break. You're hoping that, oh, I don't know, man, maybe I'll get a shout out in an email newsletter or in the media or by somebody with a huge audience. You know, they'll, they'll co-sign us. They'll post about us. Maybe I'll hit the Apple podcast charts and it'll go from there. Or maybe I just land that one specific celebrity guest. And once, once they're on the feed, it'll just blow up overnight and we'll be, we'll have made it, right? I'm sorry, but it doesn't work. You've had these thoughts, right? Is that where you are right now? I've been there too. That's where Pretty I was much. when I almost gave up, right? And stuff doesn't happen. It's not how it works. It's never happened that way. It doesn't work. You know what does work? 15 to 30 minutes a day of targeted daily engagement. That is what Anna did to 10X her audience in one year. Targeted daily engagement. What does that mean? It must be intentional. It must be intentional, okay? It's not just, blah, 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 which is what everyone else does on social media right now. So that's, so the big question is, okay, cool. That sounds good, Kev, but how do I do that? Where do I engage? So to find your incredibly specific listener, this will not work if your listenership is broad, by the way. So you have to start with step one. You cannot skip step one as annoying as it is. You must go where they go online, right? And engage with them. Live. Right? So think about it. the people that you want to reach on your go podcast, your blanks who blank and blank. Where do they currently go online? to interact as that person, right? So where does a Philadelphian who is... I um, spent $5 in a live session of, um, of uh, the defamation lawsuits to advertise my podcast. I thought that was a good idea. Who is super passionate about the city and want to get to know the movers and shakers. Where are they hanging out online? Where are podcasting entrepreneurs who have already launched but are stuck, where are they go currently going online to get help? Go there and get, and get them there. 
That's Facebook groups. That's subreddits. That's Instagram hashtags on your listeners' posts. It's LinkedIn search. You can just straight up DM people. It's in the comments of the social media posts of your dream guests, right? The people who are ahead of you who have already accrued your dream audience. It's in the comments of their posts. It's real life at conferences. It's in the comments of your posts, right? But Kevin, I thought you said that Facebook groups doesn't work. I'm going to get kicked out. Yes. I said that posting in Facebook groups doesn't work. Engaging works like a charm. The wrong way to use social media is to promote yourself and to promote your podcast. So stop asking yourself, how do I promote my podcast on social media? The right way to use social media is not to promote, it is to participate. This is why brands are currently crushing it on TikTok. It's not because they're like, the new Chalupa at Taco Bell is available now. No, it's because they're participating. They're putting up memes. They're participating in the latest trends. That's what works. That's how you promote. You don't promote by promoting. You don't do ads on social media. Nobody wants social media ads. You participate. Here's a here's a trick that I think is is going to it works and is going to work. Um, every time there's a new trend that I kind of dig, like there's a little like excerpt of an Eminem Slim Shady like uh, that's trending right now. So so jump on it and to, do use that to promote uh, my podcast, for example. Or uh, yeah, myself is. Uh, and my band, my new band of uh, Johnny Depp's new girlfriends. This is how Anna was able to grow her monthly downloads 60% the first month that she started doing this. 60%. And remember, she came in at 1,300 downloads per episode. But targeted daily engagement doesn't just stop. Another thing I do is like when I'm on social media, so I have you know, on my clipboards um, a blurb about, you know, sign my petition, um, you know, indict and expel, indict Trump and expel the traitor, uh, GOP traitors, sign my move on petition here, https colon slash sbit dot ly slash 3ka1mmd. And then I say, uh, you know, depending on, you know, I engage with the, with the post to say something about Amber amber turds then i say um you know i i'm covering i'm johnny depp's new girlfriend hashtag jdngf and i'm covering the trial in my podcast hashtag justificavenator and <clears throat> And uh, maybe my website, you know, I used to add my website uh, to ChristopherChange.com. Although I need to get that back. Uh, it was hacked for a while. I think it's I think it's better now, but at any rate. Um, so every time I engage with a post... I just paste that after my comments. See what I'm saying? So people don't get mad. Because I'm still I'm engaging with the content. Um, but I'm also promoting myself with every post. 
I think stop with your future about... listeners, right? Going and engaging with them on the internet. You can also engage with your dream guests. That's how you get them on your podcast way earlier than you're thinking. And other podcasters in your niche, right? Idea. Say like, and I've, I've tried to do this, like, say like Marielle Trump. I like engage with her, her content and um, ask her to be on my podcast and, um, you know, blow some sunshine up her ass and nominated her for the Pulitzer and like what her book, um, never enough, too much and never enough, um, should be part of the new national correct hashtag new national curriculum. When we're talking about cult of personality and um, um, <clears throat> psycho, psychotic, malignant narcissists and, and um, crimes against humanity and shit, you know, <clears throat> whenever we do to actually talk about that, which is pretty seldom actually, but at any rate, um, so yeah, <clears throat> and Noam Chomsky, um, you know, I've... Um, you know, volunteered actually to be his, his like digital, digital aid. Right. So you have your podcast. There are other podcasts that are kind of within your niche. You need to make friends with those podcasters. They're going to help you grow your audience even faster. When I first discovered this idea, targeted daily engagement, I was like, there's no way that this is going to work. So I went on Instagram and I said, okay. Well, this is good. Uh, this is a good suggestion because, um, and, and I need to do this myself. I need to um, contact other podcasters like Daily Beans. I do um, CC under the desk news on TikTok. Um, v is, uh, and I believe that's the same person who does the Daily, Pod, the Daily Beans podcast. So, voila. I said, okay, fine, though. I'll try it. For five minutes. What happened? Five minutes, and I immediately had interactions with Sonny Leonarduzzi, Amy Porterfield, and Jordan Harbinger, who are so total dream guests of mine, right? Total dream guests. And I was already interacting with them. Holy crap. Now, targeted daily engagement is the way that I grow audiences and help other people grow their audiences. And it's how you can grow yours as well. Yeah. That's how you uh, take it from Ina. Get the word out Ina to their fans. Launched her podcast from scratch. Go to their, go to and immediately pages. when she started doing targeted daily engagement, started landing dream guests out of the gate. Her podcast is for online coaches and her first two guests were Pat Flynn and John Lee Dumas. It's a pretty couple of pretty good gets for the first two episodes of your podcast. Wouldn't you say? And now she's constantly getting new dream guests. Now she only features, she exclusively features dream guests on her podcast. That's it. TDE alone. And you will, if you do it right, get you your first three to 500 raving fans. Okay. Then once you get to three to 500, you start, well, you should start now. But then by TDEing other podcasters in your space, you level up your podcast growth past 500 downloads per episode and get to 5,000 downloads per episode by collaborating with other podcasters in your space. That's by getting your show featured on their podcast feeds. What that looks like is either you being a guest on their podcast and you can you know exchange that. You can have them on your show, you on their show. You can do what's called trailer swaps where they will play your podcast trailer to their audience. 
and you can do full on episode drops where they will put an entire episode of your podcast of uh, on their podcast feed, right? And you can even take it a step further and pay for ads on their podcast. So all this stuff can be done just free collaborations, like in kind or barter system, or you can also literally pay them, like, hey, podcaster, here's you know your fee. Let me advertise my podcast on your podcast. This is what the big networks do, and this is how you should do it as well, right? Uh, oh, and by the way, you can also buy ads in the listening apps like Pocket Casts and Overcast and all the other ones. Um, but I would not do that now. I would start with the first ones first, okay? Uh, take it from million download podcaster Gary Arndt, who is a friend of Grow the Show. He uh, just recently, just a week before I recorded this video, told me that even after he's already gotten a million downloads for his podcast, the most downloads he's ever gotten in a single day was when he did a feed drop, when another podcaster in his space shared an episode of his show. The way that you get there is by TDEing those podcasters. Become friends with them on social media and then collaborate with them. Don't cold pitch them, right? So FAQ on targeted daily engagement. Isn't this going to take me forever? No, that's why it's targeted. 15 minutes in and out. Set an alarm. Do what you got to do and get out. How do I know if it's working? You'll know. If you start making internet friends and actually getting new listeners and people are like, oh, I love this episode. This was awesome. You're going to feel it, right? You start doing this right now, you're going to feel results within a week. I guarantee it. But aren't I going to get sucked into social media if I do it that way? Yes, actually. So you have to be careful. And what I do is I literally mute and unfollow everyone in my social media feeds uh, so that I don't see their posts and I don't get distracted. So that means like, you know, the person that you know that you knew in high school, but you didn't actually talk to them in high school yet. For some reason, every weekend you're looking at pictures of their kids at a brewery. Why? You're wasting your time, right? So clean all of that crap, mute them, you know, unfollow mostly, but mute them if you feel bad about unfollowing them. Get it out of your life. It doesn't bring you any value. And then that'll help you not get sucked into the vortex that is social media and to start actually using social media for you so that you can engage with people and grow your podcast audience. But Kevin, how do I engage in Facebook groups and Reddits without being banned? I already told you, don't promote. You are not joining that community to promote yourself. You are joining to participate in the community. And by doing so, you will be promoting yourself, right? Kevin, I tried what you said. It's, what's what's going on? Target deal engagement. It's not working. It's burning me out. It's almost always because your targeting is too broad. You're still being too broad. You resisted me in step one, and you refused to get more specific, and now step two is not working. You're not resonating with everyone, with anyone. Go to back to step one, be more specific, and then TDE will start to work like a charm. I promise you that. Remember, you do not grow a podcast by posting. You, grow, you do not grow a podcast by scrolling and consuming. You grow a podcast by engaging on social media. Go be the life of the party. Go be social on social media. It's that simple. Start building relationships with your future listeners, your dream guests, and the other podcasters that you can collaborate with who can help you grow your show. This is how Dr. Bonku launched a show completely from scratch and with his first 60 days, got 8,000 downloads. And by the way, this was in September of 2020 while he was a practicing overnight ER doctor during the height of COVID. If anyone doesn't have time for this, it's this guy. You have time. Dr. Rachel Morris, we got a lot of doctors in the program for some reason, started doing this and was able to go from 6,000 monthly downloads to 20,000 monthly downloads in six months. She tripled her show. And she was featured in the Sunday Times without her asking from targeted daily engagement. This is how Joanna Newting doubled her audience. This is how this works. So this works for cannabis shows. It works for Spanish speaking podcasts. It works for podcasts for moms, for podcasts for lawyers, podcasts for chefs, podcasts about Broadway, podcasts for online coaches, podcasts for the military. Look at these numbers, all from 
targeted daily engagement. <laughs> Aaron went from 35 to 40 listens to episode to over 1,600 listens just from doing targeted daily engagement. This works for shows about gaming, shows about creative entrepreneurs, and several hundred more. Targeted daily engagement. If you take one thing away from this masterclass, it should be this. Cool. So, number one, we've already made our show super specific, right? And we're super specific with who our listener and audience is. We now know how to grow that audience 60% or more per month, totally for free, spending 15 to 30 minutes a day on targeted daily engagement. But before we monetize our show to our heart's content, we must outsource the grunt work, okay? So back when I was floundering with Philly Who, right, things weren't working. And I was at a place where I was spending over 40 hours a week on my podcast, and I had zero growth, zero monetization to show for it. You remember it from earlier. I did an exercise where I measured every half hour that I spent on the podcast for six months. I was like, what the heck? This isn't working. I need to track my time better. And this is what it looked like. I kept a notebook, tracked every half hour of my time for six entire months. After six months, it's called a time study. After six months of this time study, I went back. Um, and remember, during the six-month period, my audience was not growing at all. I had tried monetizing, but it didn't work. I was like, oh, this doesn't work. This is hard. My show, I was spending tons and tons of time editing my show, and I was actually pretty annoying about it. I was, I was like, took pride in the fact that it took me tons of time to edit the show. Uh, and, and time was running out. I was running out of savings. I had no job, nothing breaking in cash, and I needed this podcast to work, or else I was going to have to go back to my life as a 9-to-5 software developer. So after the six months, what did I learn? How did I spend my time? This was the breakdown. This is how, over the course of six months, uh, where my podcast was not growing, this is how I spent my time on it. Over 240 hours, I edited. 160 hours I spent making and posting social content. This was back in the day when I was making my own audiograms in a, in a video editing software, way back when. I, I spent about 60 hours planning, inviting, communicating, 50 hours interviewing guests. I spent four hours over six months trying to actually monetize, and six hours focusing on audience growth. Do you see that? Do you think that if I spend 10 hours trying to grow and monetize over six months, that I will be successful growing and monetizing? Meanwhile, all that, all the rest of my time, making and posting social content, what was the return on that? 160 hours. I spent 60 hours planning, inviting, communicating, confirming, rescheduling, 240 hours I spent editing my show in six months. That's so much time. What is that? Six work weeks? <sighs> Meanwhile, the story that I was telling myself about this was that audience growth is too hard. Why won't people listen to my podcast? My show is too small. I can't monetize this. If I just keep editing and make a better show, it'll blow up. That's the story that I was telling myself. Right, But the truth is, I was spending no time actually learning how to grow and monetize. So how did I fix this? Well, I turned to the 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, his framework that's eliminate, automate, and delegate. So what I did was I first eliminated as much of my work as possible. Right. So I ran a, one of the examples of stuff that I eliminated. I ran a survey to my audience, and I discovered that my audience actually didn't care for my the intro that I was producing. I, I made this really, really heavily produced intro with tons of clips of what's to come and like descriptions and everything. And it took me two hours to make the intro for each episode. Everybody hated it. They skipped it. So I said, all right, I'll stop doing that. Meanwhile, I looked at my social media strategy, which took me six hours of work per episode. And I discovered that all these audiograms, which looked cool, like they looked fancy, but they were 
all being shown to the same 500 to 800 people. Every time I post, it got like 500 views and my account wasn't growing. So it was the same 500 people. So I was spending six hours per episode to make a little video that the same 500 people who were already going to listen would see. How logically is that going to get new listeners to my podcast? Think about it, right? So I just stopped doing all that. I then automated. I started using tools like Calendly, Zapier, Descript, and Pandadoc, who could save me hours and hours of time for just you know a couple bucks per month. That saved me time. And then I delegated. I hired an audio engineer with 20 years experience where what takes me four hours to do would take him an hour tops because he's just so good at it, right? It's his skill. I hired a journalism grad to edit and write my voiceovers for me. So I was spending less time on the content, right? By the way, that grad is now a host at NPR, which is super dope. I then also hired a virtual... We're back with how to grow your podcast. Writing, communicating, BS, paper cut work. I was spending six to eight hours a month focusing on audience growth and the rest of the time making money on the podcast. And that's how I got to live the life of a, of a podcaster. That was it, right? And that's also how Ian, remember Ian from before, has put her show completely on autopilot, right? So questions about outsourcing and delegating. But Kevin, I like doing the editing. Awesome. Use Descript, right? It's a tool called Descript. It automates so much and still gives you the editing uh, control creatively. It's going to save you, literally, if you take away one thing from this video, other than targeted daily engagement, this is going to save you so much time. But Kevin, I can't afford to hire out. Okay, cool. Then skip to step four, what you're about to learn, which is monetization, and then do step three. But you got to get the grunt work off of your fl uh, plate eventually, right? But Kevin, how are the editor going to know which pieces to keep? So you're still going to decide your content, right? So what you don't want to do is hire an editor who has no idea anything about real estate, if your podcast is about real estate, and have them decide which pieces to remove and which pieces to keep in. They don't know. You know that. So you have to make those decisions. You're the architect of the show. Hire the builder, right? You should not be in, in audacity or you know audition editing the show yourself. Even if you have experience as an audio editor, it's not the best leveraged use of your time. Get someone else to do that, right? Where do I find these people? You can find them on Upwork and Fiverr or your network. You know, it's not that hard. Um, so, Kevin, you're saying I should outsource my social media? Yes, you can outsource the content creation and the publishing, right, the press post, but you should not outsource the engagement. That would mean you're skipping step two. That has to stay with you. Remember, 15 to 30 minutes a day. So now we have a compelling show. We can get new listeners on command via targeted daily engagement and via featuring yourself on other podcasts. You've outsourced the grunt work and you've gotten tons of time back. The show is a machine that cranks out this content with minimal time spent on your end. The only time that you're spending on the show is the actual creative input. Now we monetize, right? And I have news for you. There's only one way. I don't care what any other podcast guru has told you. There's one way to monetize a podcast. And that is how I took my first podcast from Money Pit to Cash Cow, making six figures in a year. And this is how I made, took my second podcast past a half a million in just one year. Actually, in, in exactly one year, it was just shy of half a million, which was so annoying. <laughs> but basically half a million. This is how Eric Schlein raised 100K for, 150K for his investment fund, got $500 per episode sponsorships, and $1,000 CPA ad deals within weeks. This is how Joe Newding was able to land a $14,000 sponsorship deal in one go. And this is how 150 other podcasters are monetizing their show and actually generating revenue and getting paid for all of these blood, sweat, and tears right now and how you can do the same. Do you want to know how? You want to know how to monetize your podcast profitably regardless of your audience size? I know. I'm annoying you, right? 
Number four, forgive me, that should say four, we monetize by converting our listeners to customers. It can be customers of your business, or if you don't have one, of someone else's business via sponsorship, right? Almost every single podcast monetization strategy that exists boils down to this. The exception is when you monetize your guests. That is not what I'm talking about here. I'm assuming that you're here because you want to grow your audience and monetize your audience and not charge people to appear on your show. That's not what we're doing here. The way that you monetize your podcast, in my opinion, the best and only way is to convert a small percentage of your listeners to customers of either your product or service, right? This is the most profitable. This is the fastest route to becoming a seven-figure podcaster, which I will reach at the latest if all goes to plan and nothing catastrophic happens. By July 2022, I will be a seven-figure podcaster, but I could get there sooner, right? And that's after just a year and a half. Uh, this requires the smallest audience, but the most extra work, obviously, to build an entire business. Um, remember, I made half, half a million dollars starting completely from scratch when it comes to the podcast world. And in most cases, this is via uh, selling coaching, consulting, software, a physical or digital product, a done-for-you service, or some sort of community or mastermind, right? So that's step number one. That is, requires the smallest audience size, requires the most work when it comes to monetization, but it has, the, has no ceiling, has the highest ceiling, and is the fastest route to making a million dollars podcasting. The middle ground is to create a podcast monthly membership. So this is like Patreon or Supercast or some other membership where your audience pays you a, a flat fee for extra stuff, right? A flat monthly rate for extra stuff. Your patrons, you know, supercast, that kind of thing. This is the middle ground of the amount of work that is required and the amount of audience size that is required. For this, you're generally going to want a thousand fans or more, uh, you know, a thousand downloads per episode and really a thousand raving fans or more for this to be, to be super, super uh, valuable to you and profitable. Um, but this is definitely the easiest way to being a six figure podcaster is through a membership. Right. And like I said, that's the middle ground. Um, it's going to be very, 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 very difficult for you to become a seven figure podcaster via a, you know, five, 10 or even $20 a month monthly membership. If you don't want to do either of those things, if you don't want to develop a product or service, uh, to sell to your listeners, or you don't want to develop a Patreon or Supercast membership for your listeners to join and pay you monthly, if you really don't want that, you can, uh, convert a percentage of your listeners to someone else's business. This requires the least amount of work on your end, but requires the largest audience for you to actually make a living doing it, right? This looks like affiliate marketing and CPA ads and also CPM flat rate sponsorship ads, right? By the way, that last one, CPM ads, is what everyone thinks is the only way, uh, but it's actually the hardest way to monetize your podcast, to, to make a living podcasting, to become a six-figure podcaster. And so all, every podcaster that I come to is like, oh, I think it's time to monetize, so I guess I should sell ads. Actually, no, that's like the least profitable way to do it with a small audience. Yes, if you have massive, massive volume, millions of downloads, then this is really, really profitable and easy, but you're probably not there yet if you're watching this video, and so you should do one of the many other ways, right? So the first thing, if you want to monetize your podcast right now is number one, decide what business do you want to drive your listeners to your product or service, your membership, or someone else's business, right? Um, ideally the business that you're converting them to offers a similar outcome as your podcast. So the more aligned that business is with your podcast, the more fruitful it will be for you, right? Uh, so I've seen podcasters, you know, who have shows about like, Sheesh, I don't know, real estate in uh, Southern California, try to monetize with ads for like McDonald's or like Casper mattresses. And there's no alignment there, right? That, that, that those, those things have nothing to do with each other. So it doesn't work, right? So you want to make sure 
I also heard, uh, you know, a podcaster that I help has a show about uh, online entrepreneurship and came to me to see if she should monetize with, uh, with, with makeup, with a makeup company. It's like, how, how does makeup relate to online entrepreneurship, right? It doesn't. So probably not. So you want to make sure that the business that you're monetizing your podcast with, whether someone else's business or your business is aligned with the outcome that your, uh, that your podcast promises, right? Once you decide where to send your listeners, what business am I going to monetize with? Is it a sponsor? Is it mine? Is it my membership? Then you must learn how to convert them to customers. How do you do that? What's up? Oh, yo. Maybe that's that's a good idea. Maybe that's he just wants some love. Far out, Van Meer. Far out. (laughs) Did the water go out? Yeah, apparently. Mm. uh, Anthony's looking at me right now. I don't know. Hey, better better, Swing. <laughs> Here you can put it in my um put it in my um put it in my shatter. Just put it in my shatter. Thank you, Ben Thank you, Ben Mate. Thank you, Ben Mate. Do you know um the guitarist for Billy Idol? It's hot yeah, shit. Steve Stevens. Yeah, what a freaking I love his it's guitar. Indian, isn't it? Is he? Looks like he's from India. Yeah. Yeah, he was fucking rocks. What's up? You went up with, they both went up early, yeah? You went up? Yeah, he, you know, they got big, they got oh. rich. Blew up. Your morning been bun music. I went to the house. I left here at uh, 6.45. Oh, wow. Got to the house at 9. Hmm. Picked up the mail. I went to Sam's Club. I got a 40 bottle. That's why I wanted to know how much one, one bottle is. 40. 40 bottles? And you're gonna, you're gonna carry that? Back? I put it in my backpack. I did. 
putting that Swedish backpack, man. They wow. know what they're doing. <laughs> they know how to pack. You know, the, you mean this? Oh, the I Sam's back- Club people? No. Or the, the backpack? No, Swedish people. Back- <laughs> Swedish people, they are. They know the mountains and how to pack. It's the frame. It's a steel frame, and then it's got these straps that hold everything in. And it's great. It's... You know, it's like uh, Americans always get um, Sweden and Switzerland confused. And, um... Was that true? Yeah. And Austria that. and Australia. And also, uh, which aren't even on the same fucking continent. And um, Taiwan and Thailand. They always think, they always think that... Uh, oh, Trista, she, she spent a long time in Thailand. No, no. Just a couple of weeks in Thailand. I spent 14 years in Taiwan, in the Wan. Totally different country, I would call it. Although that's a very political thing to do. Um, My knee got way, way torn. Um, You got anything cool I can use to patch it up? Uh, I can sew just need some kind of material to cover it up because it's just too open. I don't care if there's a hole in the knee. It's like flax. Um, yeah, I've got tons of material. What kind of material are you looking for? I don't care. Something cool that goes with the those washed out jeans. $30 now at Sam's Club. I can believe it. Levi's. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's cheap as hell. Cheap. Ain't They're it? like $6, $7 at the Goodwill. Levi's? Oh, yeah. Use? Yeah, sure. Use. But the Levi's that they got at the Sam's Club are all washed out anyway. Ha 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 ha. Hi, Dr. Bizatch. B. Mr. B-Man. Mr. B-Man. B-Man. Doggy baby. Doggy baby. Be mine, be mine. Remember that song? Maybe. Be mine, maybe, baby. <laughs> Cracklin' Rosie, you're a starboard woman. You make me feel like a guitar humming. Play now, play now, play now, my baby. Crackling rose and make me smile. Google is the first place for Sounds like a freaking horn dog. Horn dog, horn. Oh, that fly swatter, man. Have you tried it? I just, um...
Are you looking because you're like 9 to 5? Uh, guitar player of the cars, he died of like, what did I say? Like, not leukemia, but something like that. Yeah, the guitarist. Not, um. Bass player in Spencer. Yeah. He died kind of early ish. Yeah. Fabulicious. And then Rick Ocasek. Did have a bit of a solar. Wonder what happened to Rick Ocasek, man. Without Ben Orr, he became kind of like a little too pop y. You know? Kind of lost. He never, he never really had that great of hits after Ben Orr. So I think Ben Orr was like a lot of the. I think Rico Kessick's pretty good about the lyrics, but you know, Ben Orr was apparently a really great musician. And, um, guitarist, as well as on stage presence of being babylicious. Babylicious. <laughs> I think um, I'm going to move these chicks a little bit. Because they're drawing flies, like foods, just got rid of the food, the food was drawing flies. These chicks right here. I like to watch them, that's why. I have them also, if they're here, like the, um, the dogs, there's usually a dog here, <clears throat> so it's, uh, it's protected, you know. Like if something... If a bobcat came and started to try to fuck with that 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 uh, crate, basically, then the dogs would hear it and, and chase them off. Hmm. Did you eat? G? Yeah, yeah, I did actually. I had some nice uh, vegetables, some rice. Did you eat? Yeah, my mom wanted me to rice as soon as I got there. Mm -hmm. Use potatoes and onions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice little siesta. Siesta time! What time is it? Uh, Whoa. What do you know? What? And what day is this? Is the weekend? Thursday. <laughs> Feels like the weekend. Everybody's working for the weekend. Everybody needs a second chance. Huh? Yeah, he did that again, you know, as an old man. It seemed like so weird. 
You mean Loverboy? Yeah, he's not an old man now. He's strange now. You know, his body just didn't stay the same. <laughs> but his clothes did.
comes to you is no surprise. He's known as the people oh shark. Oh my gosh, he's not up. I have to turn off the volume and, and until you get to the uh, oh yeah. <clears throat> How about Lover that whole album? It's fucking great. Really? <laughs> yeah. I don't think I heard an whole album. To you is no So I should I should record the full album for on my podcast because it doesn't exist. Ha 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 get lucky dun 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 alright. Very funny. Okay. Thank you. 
on this album sad they have a 50 50% um, success rate as a band <laughs> on this album you can easily train yourself
really don't know him. I went to sleep and was awakened by the loud, a very loud. If you're still trying to figure out how to start an online business or how to get people to actually buy from you over the internet, I have some really good news for you that I think. Yeah, I was just thinking about how, um, yeah, they they really rocked out, didn't they? I mean, that's like they did, but that's not even like pop. That's 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 they're rocking out, dude. Yeah. They rocked out with their cock out. <laughs> we should do we should do a song called Rock Out with Your Cock Out. I think Buzzfeed. I think Buzzfeed Berkeley should be Buzzfeed Berkeley. Does that ring a bell? He he did all yeah. those 1930s musicals, you know, with all those girls lining up in the water and they were all going. Nah, 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 Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. 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 I see you. 
just got a hug and just a feel to it and get on to it. Well, what's the st what? Sorry, not sorry. Can you play Working on the Weekend by Levy? Where is Levy Boy now? <laughs> in uh, Vancouver. In the where they were. What key is Loverboy working for the weekends? Key of G. Ninja. <laughs> That's a good title, man. Love Ninja. Love Ninja. Kind of like a radio, edgy radio headish. Love Ninja. In fact, it, that would be fun to like ask uh, Tom York to to help sing some some vocals background or whatever <laughs> some vo or for love ninja na, na, na. oh you know what's a great like a really incredible song pyramid song have you ever heard the pyramid song the radio heads oh no i love it have you heard the pyramid song i don't know maybe this has a really interesting um Stretch, uh. I don't care what you're doing. Okay, well, that's fine. Oh, I don't care what you're doing either. Oh, it's 
Trista. You gotta watch watch the video, it's very important.
podcast grew to 10k downloads a month and generated 500k for my online business without burning me out it requires two things number one the listener must trust you immensely they must trust you enough to believe that they're actually going to get value from the product or service that you're trying to sell them right and then number two you must actually ask them to buy the thing you must make clear and compelling calls to action at the right time Spoiler alert, the beginning of your episode is not the right time to make a call to action, right? So number one, how do you get them to trust you? The general rule of thumb is to have them spend seven hours with you and your content, right? This is the seven-hour rule popularized in the book called Oversubscribed by Daniel Presley. He introduces the seven-hour rule, which theorizes that people need to spend seven hours with your brand, with your content, before they will become a lifelong fan And this concept can also be directly translated to selling something. People need to spend seven hours with you before they're going to buy the thing that you sell or enter a relationship with you romantically or take the next step, right? It applies to dating too. Um, And this is why a lot of people write books, right, for their businesses because it takes you about seven hours to read a book. By the end of the book, you trust the author so much that you're willing to buy their thing, right? So what does that mean for us? Well, as podcasters, this means that we need to ensure that our listeners listen to five to 10 episodes of our podcast, depending on podcast length, right? And so here's how you do that. Number one, make sure that your show is super binge worthy, right? Make it good, right? Make your show good. <laughs> make it not suck. Number That's two, my show. create an online community like a Facebook group or a Discord or a subreddit that you own where your listeners can go and interact with you, but more importantly, interact with each other because the time that they spend interacting with each other will be associated to you, which is a good thing. Um, uh, same as plug, join the Grow the Show free Facebook group to meet uh, okay, so 1,800 other podcasters that, that are awesome, right? What I'm thinking is how that applies to me because <clears throat> uh, you guys scram. Come on, scram. 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 How this applies to me is that um, <laughs> I forgot what I was saying. Ducks are so damn noisy. Um, <clears throat> how this applies to me. Here, hold on a sec. Um, you can also add listeners to an email list where you can continue to deliver value to them. That'll up the seven hour rule. And if you're really advanced at this, you can set up paid social media retargeting to get them back into this fold. But for most of you, I wouldn't recommend that. I would stick to the first three things here. If you do this, make your show good. Create an online community where your listeners can go and hang out and interact with other listeners of your podcast and have an email list where you're you know, regularly sending them even more valuable things. They will consume seven hours in no time and they will be rip roaring, ready to buy. Okay, so uh, yeah, what I'm getting out of that is that um, I need to create a, a, <clears throat> a space for me to interact with my fan, my one fan. Um, fan's name is Zero Fucks Left to Give. That's one my one fan. That's a person that um, shows up when I go live on TikTok. Anyway, <clears throat> but why limit it to that? Just uh, you can do live on TikTok and live on Instagram at the same time. And when you get enough followers, you can go live on uh, YouTube as well. 
I mean, I'm not on Facebook anymore. Or, uh, for the moment, they can go fuck themselves. They froze my account for no fucking reason at all. Because I'm too productive, I'm too creative, and uh, prolific of a uh, creator. <clears throat> they can't handle it. Oh, well, actually, um, more likely this is what happened, okay? That, yeah, I'm, I'm too effective as a long-time media journalist, multimedia journalist and activist, I'm, I'm pretty fucking effective. Like, if I want to get somebody a message, I, I know how to do it. I figure out how to do it. <clears throat> but, uh, and advertising, I'm getting better and better. Uh, you know, my, my thing is I have a high learning curve, but you don't, uh, the more mistakes you make, the uh, more uh, more you learn. Because, yeah, more you learn from that, that experience. <clears throat> so, I think I'll do that. I'll go uh, live on Instagram again, I think. Or not. Um... I need to, I need to, okay, it's going to get, my podcast is going to get better, okay, for all you haters, all you haters out there saying, there's no long periods of silence on your podcast, trust that, well, fucking listen to the silence, enjoy the silence, and uh, it's also an ASMR, so it's a, soothing thing okay you're not just listening to a podcast you're experiencing the desert wildlife flora and fauna along with me so <clears throat> and uh, as well as uh, music and um, comedy so how trista how can you target how can you, how can you learn from what you just heard from this? How to grow your podcast, dude? And um, what are you gonna do? Well, I would say, um, well, I I have a new computer now. Awesome Mac. I got my dream computer, cause I deserve it. And so uh, I will be expanding to be doing some like podcasts. What well, I'm gonna I'm gonna base it on um, what's that true crime chick? Okay, she has these great videos on Facebook. She has a Facebook page just for her podcast. So that's what uh, that's what I was trying to do. That's what I will do again. Stupid ass Facebook, whatever. Um, by the way, if you want to just help uh, send uh, support at fb.com, tell them to please unfreeze Trista's account, okay? Support at fb.com. They froze it for absolutely no reason. 
But no, I think this is the reason why um, <clears throat> so I'm effective in what I do, and I'm getting out the words about my petition. I did get, uh, the last time I looked at the word nine signatures, thank you, nine people. Um, just to sound, you know, sorry if I sound a little sarcastic and ungrateful for, for, for nine fucking signers, but signatures, but damn, I worked my ass off for those nine fucking signatures because of Kevin. Hey, Kevin, I need some TP for my bungle. Kevin, I need TP for my bungle. <laughs> TP for my bungholio. So it's very effective, and um, Mr. Mr. T. Rump is, he, of course, he and his T. Rump organization, they sure as hell don't want this to get out in the, in the Republicans. They don't want me to be successful, so they're sick, they're Russian fucking Trump trolls, paid for with our fucking taxpayer dollars. I guarantee it, I would, I would almost bet my life on it. That he is basically making taxpayers pay for his fucking smear campaigns online. His fucking troll army. Uh, it's, it, he's still he's still use, writing it off his losses. Okay, you know that whole thing about Russia and collusion. He stuff. So he didn't even pay for his lawyer for that. He wrote that off. <laughs> It's not funny, Trista. It's fucking tragic and pathetic. To epic proportions. Anyway, I found out that um. <clears throat> By the way, uh, thank you to 593 people who uh, nominated to be your governor of Aaron Stoner. And also thank you to the 5,000 plus followers across social media. Trista, uh, hashtag Trista for governor. And I do have. I've started a new band. It's called Johnny Depp's New Girlfriend. And it's hashtag JDNGF for short. Or Johnny Depp's New GF. And uh, yeah, I'm in the process of writing some songs. Yeah, it's going to be kind of like a cross between Rick Springfield's and. The kinks or something. Um, <clears throat> but no. Uh, so, Mister Mister, I'm, I'm sure it's the my um, the people that I criticize, the republic cunts, basically. They sure as hell don't. Well, of course they don't want to go to fucking prison as insurrectionists. So um, they sick their little troll armies on me to try to humiliate me and bully and harass and intimidate me and threaten me and um, holy moly! Copy and paste that. The, the, it's um, it's a, it's a game plan. Okay, the, that's the the first thing they do is is uh, to try to uh, insult you and humiliate you and bully you and harass you and. Um, 
and uh, so that you don't want to be on social media, you don't want to have anything to do with it. So maybe also you turn off the comments, but then, which is, you know, I've considered that because I don't get any comments other than the fucking trolls. Fuck you, Kevin. Need some TP for my bunghole, motherfucker. <laughs> Cease and desist, by the way. You will be you will be prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. We know who you are, Kevin. Or Kevin's it's probably probably got a whole team of people at DHS wasting our fucking taxpayer money to try to shut Trista down. Probably like three or four. I can I can uh, like my psychic intuition. Yeah, I'm, I use my psychic intuition. They've got like three or four people on my case, so to speak, as it were. On my case, yeah, they're on my case. They're on my ass. Cease and desist. Suppressing my communications, Kevin. At DHS. I know you're still at it. Fuck off. Fuck off. Anyway. <clears throat> so, and it's not just them. Uh, there's, there's, uh, okay, so, so Mr. T. Rump has, uh, he must have some, um, I thought he was supposedly enemies with, with, uh, Zuckerberg, Mark Zuckerberg. I should do a podcast to, like, uh, his bio, see what he's all about. But um, I've been, they keep shutting me down, Facebook, because they, you know, they're, but they, yet they allowed Mr. T. Rump to uh, fucking incite a rebellion, a violent insurrection with using Facebook and Instagram, which is the same company, basically. It's owned by Facebook, Meta, the same fucking thing. There should be a monopoly. There's, a, I mean, there should, there is a law against it. It's an antitrust law. Okay. Do a, Trista. Put your money where your mouth is and do a little fucking uh, research. Cause it, do or do we or do we not have the fucking like. Uh, Antitrust law in this country. Why do only five corporations own all of our media? I don't want to mess this up. Okay, I'm going to do a search on this. Delio. <clears throat> okay. Does America have antitrust laws still on the books? Businesses. Wait, hold on. Regulate the conduct and organization of businesses. Antitrust law, mostly federal laws. Regulate the conduct and organization of businesses to promote competition and prevent unjustified monopolies. The U.S. created antitrust laws 
too? What the fuck does that question mean? Antitrust laws, also referred to as competition laws, are statutes developed by the U.S. government to protect consumers from predatory business practices. They ensure, how about insurrection? They ensure that fair competition is, exists in an open market economy. Understanding antitrust laws in Bestopedia is the, um, is the United States' primary antitrust law. I understand the question. Congress passed the first antitrust law, the Sherman Act, in 1890 as a comprehensive charter of economic liberty aimed at preserving free and unfettered competition as the rule of trade. Free and unfettered competition. In 1914, Congress passed two additional antitrust laws, the Federal Trade Commission Act, FTC, which created the FTC and the Clayton, Clayton what? Man, what's the rest? Uh, do anti? Yeah, here's my question: Do antitrust laws still exist? Because why else would we have five corporations that own all of our media? Many consumers have never heard of antitrust laws, but enforcement of these laws saves consumers millions and even billions of dollars a year. The federal government enforces three major federal antitrust laws, and most states also have their own. Antitrust laws and use. What happened to anti U.S. antitrust laws? Yeah. What the fuck happened to them? How come they're not being used? America used to have antitrust laws that permanently stopped corporations from monopolizing markets and often broke up the biggest culprits. No longer, what? Now giant corporations are taking over the economy and they're busily weakening antitrust enforcement. So that's what happened to it. Oh my gosh, here's Robert Reich. Whatever happened to antitrust? Yeah, exactly. Thank you, Robert Reich. He's awesome. He's going to be in my, um, he's going to be in my cabinet. Robert Reich writes at robertreichsubstack.com. Simplified page. Why doesn't Congress get anything? The real reason. Oh wow. I need to. I need to um, sign up for his newsletter. Mm. Okay. Whatever happens to antitrust? The real reason Congress gets nothing done. <clears throat> Why doesn't Congress get anything done? Well, one chamber actually does. Hundreds of bills have been passed by the House of Representatives, but have been blocked from not even getting a vote in the Senate. Bills like the Freedom to Vote Act, the John R. Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act, the Equity Equality Act, background checks for gun sales, reauthorizing the Violence Against Women Act, the Protecting the Right to Organize Act, the Build Back Better Act, the list goes on. So why aren't these crucial bills getting a vote in the Senate? Because the filibuster makes it impossible. By the way, if you'd like my daily analyses, commentary, and drawings, please subscribe to my free newsletter, robertwright.substack.com. All told, the House passed over 200 bills since the start of 2021 that have not been taken up in the Senate. Everything from investing in rural education to preventing 
discrimination against pregnant workers to protecting seniors from scams. Bills that have real tangible benefits for the public. Bills that have widespread public support. So don't believe the media narrative that Congress is trapped in hopeless gridlock, and both sides are to blame. One chamber of Congress, led by Democrats, is passing important legislation and delivering for the people, but Republicans in the Senate and a handful of corporate Democrats are hell-bent on grinding the gears of government to a halt. Why are Senate Republicans doing this? Because their midterm strategy depends on it. Republicans are blocking crucial legislation so they can point to Democrats' supposed inability to get anything done and claim they'll be able to deliver if you give them majorities. Don't fall for it. Oh my god. Let's see. How we stand up to Putin. I love the way he writes. In fact, I should... Um, I should do a podcast reading reading his um, his articles. Anyway. Let's see. How do we stand up to Putin and avert a climate catastrophe at the same time? Quitting our addiction to fossil fuels. Here's how we get there. In response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the West has snapped a series of sanctions into place. Russia's the world's largest crude oil exporter, and the primary source of global natural gas. Regardless of the short-term effects on our pocketbooks over the longer term, we need to transition to renewable energies if we have any hopes of keeping the Earth habitable and freeing our economy from the influence of geopolitical foes. This is where carbon dividends come in. By the way, if you'd like my idea, yes. It works like this. We put a hard cap on the amount of carbon we allow into the economy. Permits up to this cap would be issued, and energy companies could buy them in quarterly auctions. At every mine, refinery, and port of entry, these companies would have to use a permit for every ton of carbon dioxide that would be released into the atmosphere once that fuel is burned. When they run out of permits, they cannot extract or import any more carbon-polluting fuel. Hmm. Sounds like an interesting idea to me. To keep the climate from rising 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, the goal of the Paris Climate Accord, we need to slash emissions by roughly 90%. Accomplishing this by 2050 would demand reductions of 7.5% per year. Currently, we're decreasing its rate of 1.2% per year. With a carbon cap, in order to ensure we meet our goals, we could simply decrease the amount of permits issued by 7.5% every year. But how would we do that without Americans getting covered by higher prices at the gas pump? That's where the carbon dividends come in. The revenue from selling permits will be distributed back to the public as direct payments, no strings attached. For the majority of middle-class and poor Americans, a dividend will more than cover any increase in fuel prices and they'll come out ahead. People who produce the most carbon emissions are by and large wealthy and can afford the hike in prices. The Earth's capacity to absorb carbon is a natural resource. One we should share equally. Instead of giving the wealthy and oil profiteers free reign, plus everyone benefits from a cleaner planet. One study found that a quarter million premature deaths would be prevented over the next 20 years in the United States with a carbon-free, carbon fee and dividend program. I know that you're thinking right about now. Sounds nice, Bob, but it'll never happen. Don't be so sure. The idea is notably popular across the political spectrum. Car carbon dividends were first proposed in 2009. The bipartisan bill and subsequent plans come from both Republicans and Democrats, and there's already precedent for parts of the program. Since 2009, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative has captured sold carbon permits for power companies in 11 northeastern states. 
is boosting their economies and has proven political resilience. And in Alaska, every resident receives between 1,000 and 2,000 annually from the Alaska Permanent Fund, which invents, invests the state's oil royalties. Nice. So basically, yeah, wouldn't you rather get a one or two thousand dollar check every year? For oil, to share in the oil royalties? Over 80% of Alaskans say it improves their quality of life. We treat gas prices as something out of our control, giving dangerous amounts of power to petro states like Russia. With alarming subsequences, by weaning ourselves from gas dependence, we gain relief from dirty air that kills millions globally, relief from the constant hemorrhage of government subsidies for fossil fuels and from wars for oil, and above all, relief from the ongoing destruction of the Earth's climate. None of this is impossible. The best way to contain Russia and build a sustainable future is with a carbon dividend. Yes. How the Supreme Court can make your life more dangerous. Your life could get a lot more dangerous. Republican appointees on the Supreme Court seem poised to strip away basic safety standards for our workplaces, our food, our air, and water. Congress gives federal agencies the authority to enact regulations that protect us in our daily lives. Congress defines the goals but leaves it up to the health and safety experts in those agencies to craft and enforce regulations. I know regulations don't sound very exciting, but they're how our government keeps us safe. By the way, if you'd like to... Remember when lots of romaine lettuce was recalled because it was causing E. coli outbreaks? That was the food FDA protecting us from getting sick. Working in a warehouse, the uh, OSHA, Occupational Safety and Health Administration, sets standards to ensure you don't breathe in dangerous chemicals like asbestos. Enjoy the fresh air and a clear sunny day thanks to EPA for limiting the amount of pollution that could go into our air. These agencies save lives. Since OSHA was established a half century ago, its workplace safety regulations have saved more than. 618,000 workers' lives. <clears throat> Republicans have been trying to get these agencies for decades. Now, with the Supreme Court right-wing majority solidly in place, they have their best chance yet. In January 2022, the Supreme Court blocked OSHA's vaccine or testing mandate from going into effect, which is estimated to prevent a quarter million hospitalizations. The court claimed that quarter million prevents what vaccine or testing mandates. The court claimed that COVID isn't an occupational hazard because people can become infected outside of work, and allowing OSHA to regulate this matter would significantly expand its authority without clear congressional authorization. This is absurd on its face. Section two of the OSHA Act of 1970 that was clearly spells out OSHA's authority to enact and enforce regulations that protect workers from illness, injury, and death in the workplace. Congress doesn't need to list every specific workplace hazard before OSHA can protect workers. What this ruling tells us is that the Republican appointees on the Supreme Court are intent on getting the power of agencies to issue regulations. Yes. Well, actually, we know that. Well, I know that. But, yeah, we should all know this. This term, the court will also hear a case regarding the EPA's authority to enforce the Clean Water Act. If the court undermines the EPA's authority, it will put our environment and our health at risk. Remember when the Cuyahoga River caught on fire because it was brimming with oil, acid, and factory chemicals? That's what we may be returning to. And what's next? Will they get the FTC and put us all at risk of being defrauded? Target the Securities and Exchange Commission and deregulate the financial sector, sparking another financial crisis. 
be aware, but Republican appointees on the Supreme Court succeed in gutting regulatory agencies. We all lose. This agenda is anti-worker, anti-consumer, and anti-environment. The only thing it's good for is corporate profits. Yep. The rise of the sentient billionaires. The word billionaire didn't even exist until 1844. <clears throat> 50 years later, we got multi-billionaire. And for the next 127 years, that was enough. But in 2022, or 2020, when the working class faced near record unemployment during the pandemic, the wealthiest Americans faced a different problem. Some of them have gotten so rich, there was no longer a word to describe just how rich they were. That's why I want to bring you to one of the newest additions to the English language. Sentient billionaires, people with a hundred billion or more. What's it like being one of history's first sentient billionaires? It's hard to even imagine, but let's try by comparing them to the less fortunate, by which I just mean regular billionaires. <laughs> if you're a regular billionaire, you can afford a private jet. If you're a sentient billionaire, you can afford a brand new Gulfstream jet every single day for more than 10 years. Not sure what you do with a new Gulfstream every day. Maybe give one to each of your closest 4,000 friends. A regular billionaire would struggle to buy their own professional baseball team. Sad, I know. But a scented billionaire could easily buy every team in the entire major league. <laughs> if you're a regular billionaire, you can donate to your alma mater and get your name on a building. If you're a sentient billionaire, you could single-handedly give every teacher in America an $8,000 raise for five straight years. <laughs> Basically, what I'm saying is $100 billion is a lot of money. More than two and a half million times what the average American worker makes in a year. <laughs> two and a half million times what the average. What the heck's going on in there? I don't think so. There is a way to see. So here's the big question. Are these sent to billionaires so rich because they work two and a half million times harder than the average American? Are they really a hundred times smarter than the typical billionaire? I don't think so. The reason for the rise of sent to billionaires is that for decades, wealth hasn't trickled down. It's gushed out all the way to the very top. That's not an accident. As it turns out, the system that the super rich call themselves carefully crafted and lobbied for benefits the rich. And while you may not own more private jets than your average sentient billionaire, you probably do a higher, pay a higher tax rate. And thanks to legal loopholes in the Trump tax cuts, when the wealthiest Americans die, they get to pass on most of their sentient billions to their kids tax-free. We've got two choices as a country. We can tax the richest Americans fairly and invest that money in ways that benefit all of us. Or we can keep doing what we're doing and watch the sentient billionaires getting richer while the rest of us get left behind. You think wealth and power are too concentrated in the hands of privileged few now? Just imagine what a few more years of trickle-down nonsense will bring. Of course, it won't be all bad. At least trillionaire is easy to say. Hmm. What does it... Here's, here's just to be the devil's advocates. What does it matter when they just print new money anyway? 